Well, if you have your Bibles, turn them. Uh, turn with me this morning to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. And I don't know. I, I have an excitement and, and, and anticipation and expectation over this year. I hope you do as well. Every new year good time to reflect, as I mentioned last week, to look forward. And as I've been praying this week, I just feel the Spirit of the Lord saying it's a year of increasing. It's a year of increasing, and, and uh, that can mean many things, but I really believe it's a year of increasing in the sense of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, because God is in the business of spiritual formation in our life. Amen? He's in the business of making disciples. Amen? And growing, and so, and I was I was thinking about growing. I was I, I, I walked into my garage, and we have this wall where where my wife has put measuring uh, ticks for where my kids how they have grown over the years, the date and how they've grown, right? And you can see over time. And we're we're my kids are teenagers right now, and they are they are definitely growing. How many know it's grocery bill time? And uh, they're growing, and so they, there's a lot of needs, but, uh, and, and, and sometimes they want to grow faster than they are. And I'm like, you can't make it happen. It's just going to happen. You just cooperate with the process. Amen? And, uh, but it's, it's a great time, and, um, you know, the, when you look at them, you go, well, they've grown this much since last year, Right? And you measure. And so I was thinking about that in terms of our lives, you know, and looking back and go, hey, Lord, thank you for growing me this year. Thank you that I'm not the same as I was going into last year, that God, you've been working in my lives. Can anyone say amen to that this morning? That there's growth and there's been increase, but I just feel the Lord emphasizing that, uh, especially for this year. And, I'm, and I, I want you to know, uh, that growth in numbers is great, but God is interested in making disciples. Right? And the, the, sometimes we measure success the wrong way. Because we've got churches filled with people who aren't disciples. I was reading this morning in Matthew where Jesus went to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And it said there's a big, in Matthew 5, it says there's a big crowd gathered but he took his disciples up the hill. He took his disciples up the hill. And so I'm just wondering if I'm talking to some people who want to go up the hill with Jesus this year, who wants to increase in growth, right? And uh, that's our heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your desires for increase this year over our lives. And I just speak it over each and every person here this morning. And Lord, as we just dive into your word, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd open the eyes of our heart. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray none of us would leave the same as we came in, but we would be going from glory to glory and from faith to faith and being transformed and conformed to your image, Jesus. We thank you for that. And Lord, especially as I heard that man of God, Leonard Ravenhill, pray, let this be a bad day for the devil. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Love that prayer. <laughs> Every day we should pray that. It's going to be a bad day for the devil. Um, but I believe God wants us to increase in so many ways. And I was so encouraged. It's my friend Bill Mallory here. 
Can we give it up a more? I love this man. We were, we were in prayer last week, corporate prayer, and I was just so just touched and moved. He came up and he just shared how in the fall, the Lord had, you know, we, the Lord had been speaking to him about growing closer, leaning into Jesus. And he was just talking about how God was working in his heart and transforming him and, and, and you know, correcting and disciplining, you know, those things that a good father does and just sharing these things. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow. He's 85 years old. He's still going for it. He's still going for it. Like Caleb did, right? 85 years old. He went and took out some giants, right? I mean, I'm just telling you, I don't know if you've gotten stagnant, but sometimes we need some people around us to challenge and encourage us in our spiritual growth. And that just was really awesome for me. And I want to thank you. And I want to, I just appreciate who you are. I appreciate the friendship and, and just the encouragement that you bring. And, uh, it's just amazing. He's still writing books. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's interesting that uh, Peter starts the letter this way. He, in his previous epistle, he starts as Peter, an apostle, and he's written and addressed mostly to uh, the Jewish believers who've been dispersed. But in this one, later on in life, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle. And Simon reminds us of who he used to be. Come on. Because Jesus said, you're Simon, but you're going to be Cephas, the rock when he first met him in John chapter 1. And he reminds us that before he's a bondservant of the Lord, and I, and I love this, it's just impressed my heart because we're in an environment in the church these days of, I don't know, celebrity pastors and making the, pa the pulpit a pedestal when it should be a place for the plumb line. And Simon says, I'm just a man. I'm a, a man who God is using, and I'm just a servant of the Most High. That's who I am. And that encourages me because sometimes we put these people up and we go, well, I, I could never do what they do. I could never be what they do. And he goes, but he addresses us, he says, to those of a faith of the same kind. A precious faith. And then these Gentiles may have come to believe or been inclined to believe that the Jewish believers could, you know, were, were better or that they, they, they had something more than they did. And, and so it was an encouragement to them as well. But do we not struggle with this sometimes? We look at others and we say, I wish I had faith like them. I wish I could, I, I could, I could do the things they do. And, and maybe they have unique gifts and callings that you don't. How many know we have specific gifts and callings? But this faith that you have is of the same value as what the apostle Peter had. Come on, somebody. Is of the same value. And the reality is, we have his faith. Now you're going to get this. Because Romans 12.3 says this, that, that each of us have received the measure of faith. The measure of faith. And then Paul in Galatians 20 says, 
I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith. Are you getting this? The reason he could say you have faith of a like kind, precious faith like I have, is because it's not his. It was a given by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Come on. It's not according to his, our merit. Now, why do we see differences in believers' lives? It's the, it, what, what makes that difference is the degree to which we exercise that faith. And the degree to which we allow, listen to this, unbelief. You see, sometimes what happens is our faith is diminished or, or, or overshadowed by unbelief. But it doesn't change the value of what you have in Christ Jesus as a believer. When you put your trust in him, when you gave him your life, when you were born again, come on, a new creature in Christ Jesus, he gave you. I mean, I don't know. I believed on him, and then I got this new belief. I don't know how to describe it. I could, where I, was, where I used to not believe, all of a sudden I, my eyes were open. The faith of the Son of God. So, here's the encouragement. We can all work our faith. We can all exercise our faith. So, number one is you have faith for increase. We have faith for increase. Precious like faith. You know, Peter reminds me of the golem of, uh, in, in, uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Because he uses this word precious a lot. <laughs> right? Precious. Pastor Sam does it way better. But this is... It's the second time he's calling our faith precious, and he, and it's the sec, and he also says the, the blood of Jesus is precious. He says us as living stones are precious. He says the promises of God are magnificent and precious. That means they're of great value. They're of great, they, they're, they're more valuable than gold is what he says of our faith. Now, these were Peter's valuables. Are they yours? I, I don't know if you heard me. Are these your valuables this morning? Sometimes we need to reassess what's valuable in our life. But it means they're highly valued. They're equally precious, equally honored and esteemed as, the, as what the, the apostles possessed. And... Um, we, can ha we have the same. There's no, he's writing to believers. He's not writing to elite believers. I'm just, I've got, I feel like somebody needs to get this this morning. Somebody's been like, I can never be this or that. And we make excuses. So this message this morning is to remove every excuse and see what God has provided in Christ Jesus that we have already in him so that we can live in the increase that he intends for us. Amen? And he says it's by his righteousness. It's not any merit of our own. It's, and then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many know that as you, and he uses this term know or knowledge multiple times in this epistle, but it implies the living participation in the truth. And, and in the way that Jesus puts it in John chapter 17, 3, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
This is eternal life that you might know. And so when knowing him, that's how our faith is built up. Come on. Because our faith is not in a, a doctrine or a set of, of, of beliefs or creeds. It is in the person of Jesus. Did you get that? It's in a person. See, it's possible for us, and there's Christians in this place, they know the creeds, they know all of what to believe, they've read their Bible, they've memorized Scripture, but they've not come to that place of intimate knowledge of Him. And that's what differentiates. That's where this grace and peace is multiplied to us in, is in that intimacy with Jesus. And it becomes ours. Then the next verse says, seeing that His divine power, I want you to see this, see it, has granted to us everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That's awesome. Do I need to read it again? <laughs> Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. That's, that's a lot to unpack, and I don't know that we have time this morning. Here's the danger, folks. When your pastor has not preached in three weeks and has had time off, <laughs> hey, it's the new year. We just fast lunch. You good? Yeah. All right. Two, two, we are empowered for increase. We are empowered for increase. We must see this. We are not lacking anything we need for increase. Spiritual growth. God supplies far more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Now, many Christians, if this is you, you don't have to raise your hand, are living like people starving in the middle of a stocked grocery store. It's like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm struggling. But it's right there, your full supply that I've given you. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is at your available to you and this is the zoe life this is the uh, anointing for life we were pastor sam and i were at a conference in florida in in september and and uh they were having this panel and there was a pastor there man 90 years old pastor tommy reed from buffalo and i i'd never heard him speak i'd heard i think i'd heard his name before but i didn't know much about him and they were inter they were just talking and they said well pastor we see all these great men and women of god who have moved in the power of the Spirit and done miracles and just had powerful ministries, and then they have these moral failings. Why do you think this is happening? And he paused and he sat for a moment. He said, I believe there are two anointings. There's an anointing for ministry, and there's an anointing for life. And they're distinct. They're distinct. They're same source. But you can operate. Here's the scary thing. You can operate in anointing for ministry without character. That should shake us. That's why Jesus could say they came to him and they said, Hey, we prophesied your name. We did all these things. Depart from me. I don't know you. Whew. I need the anointing for life. The power for everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are empowered for increase, church. Then he calls us to his own 
I want you to see this. His own glory and excellence. That's the very virtue of who he is. That's what he calls us to. He doesn't set the bar low, folks. But then he gives you everything to live in that calling. Do you see it? He he doesn't ask you to become something he doesn't provide for you to be. This excellence is a moral excellence. It's virtue. We have everything we need to grow. Just as a baby has a definitive genetic structure that determines how he or she will grow, so the believer is genetically structured to experience glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. You know, we are, Romans 8 says we are being conformed. This is, this is what we are predestined to, to be conformed to his image. Now, this is all the spiritual realities. I'm going to get to the practical outworking in your life because this is very practical. But if you don't get hold of the spiritual reality by faith, then you can't live the practical life of victory and increase. Because it comes from that revelation and we're conformed to his image because what God's calling us to cannot be produced through human effort. It's supernatural life. It looks different than how everybody else lives. It's distinct. It has Jesus all over it. So it goes on. He says, for by these he has granted to us. Turn to somebody and say, he's granted to you. His precious and magnificent promises. So that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Which table are you at this morning? Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So number three is the promises for increase. We have faith for increase. We have been empowered for increase. And we have promises for increase. But the Holy Spirit uses the, the word of God, his precious and magnificent promises to transmit to us, to uh, fill us with, to empower us in the divine nature. Divine nature. It's his very nature. When we were born again, we have this nature that he has given us that is born from above. Come on, somebody. And when we think about how nature affects your life, all right? I love what Pastor Warren Wiersbe says. He says, nature determines appetite. Nature determines appetite. Just as pigs desire slop, come on, sheep desire green pastures. How many know when you were born again, I hope this is the case, your appetite changed? I used to desire things that I don't desire anymore. Those things don't fill me anymore because I've got a new nature in me that cries out for things that are pure and holy. Ooh. When you get hold of this revelation of the new nature, the new creature in Christ Jesus, that changes everything because it's not about self-effort anymore. It's about understanding and believing and receiving what he's already given you. Nature determines behavior. Ephesians 2 says that when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, anybody like this can testify to this, I walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, living in the lusts of my flesh, indulging the desires of my flesh and of my mind. And it, and it, says, by, it says in that verse there, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. But it goes on to say he's made us alive with him. Come on. 
new creatures in Christ Jesus. I have a new nature, but my behavior changes because of the new nature. Not that I'm trying to change my behavior and, and, and conform outwardly. Are you with me? This is different. You see, holiness, Jesus is the root. Holiness is the fruit. Get it? It comes from him in you. Lights are going to go on in just a minute. All right. Like, I'm trying to be a good person. Well, stop doing that and just believe in Jesus. Use that faith for increase. Nature determines environment. Right? Remember the prodigal son? He leaves the father's house. Give me my inheritance. He goes out, wastes it on wasteful living, and then he ends up, used it all up, and now he finds himself in the pigsty, eating what the pigs eat. That was my environment before Jesus. Anyone? <laughs> it's just not good food. I mean, it's just not good food. That life is terrible. And then he remembers, maybe at least I had good meals in the Father's house. Can you feel the Spirit of God saying, oh, you got more than that. You got everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. So when he came running back, there's the Father, arms open, running to him everything he needed but the environment changes we want to see when i became a christian you couldn't get me out of church i wanted to be in an environment where i could grow you couldn't get me out of the i mean i got i went up to i was single i went up to altar calls for marriage problems i mean i just i just wanted <laughs> jesus i was i was just hungry for him If people are getting together, I want it to be, right? Amen. Right, brother? <laughs> Nature determines association. Let me tell you, tell you what. When I gave my life to Jesus, my friends are like, later. I had to get a whole new association. Anyone else? God gave me a whole new friend group, and they're, they're much better. Other people who share this nature, we're partakers of it. And by virtue of that nature, we've escaped the lust that is in the world, the corruption that is in the world by lust. And the only thing that takes us back to that is when we feed the other nature. Right? So Romans, Romans 13, 14 says, Be put, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Right? And so what are we making provision for, the, the flesh, or are we making provision for the spirit, which is our new nature in Christ Jesus? All right, I'm getting there, folks. Stick with me. Number, so number, let's go on. Second Peter chapter, verse 5, 1 verse 5 says, Now, this, now for this very reason also, I want you, he's, he's saying, listen, look at the full supply that God's given you. Now for this very reason, this is our part. Turn to somebody and say, this is your part. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, per per perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. I mean, that's a, good, that's a good New Year's resolution. I don't want to be useless or unfruitful this year. Come on, Lord. 
in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, it's diligence to increase, number four. Peter makes it clear that we've been granted everything we need for growth, but we need to, in all diligence, in all faith, in our faith supply. So there's, and what is this? I'm not talking about a works righteousness. I'm talking about working out righteousness. It's different. See, we come alongside. You see, nobody can do this for you. We've got to endeavor and say, it really means to make every effort, every effort. You know, I look at the lives of professional athletes or those people who have gotten to, a, you know, elite levels. And these people are disciplined. They've made every effort to refine their craft and, and get better at what they do. And some of you, we were really diligent in our work and labor, and that's a good thing. But I, God's calling us and saying, but are you going to apply that uh, even more diligence to this growth thing in your life? Make every effort, come alongside what he's done and just cooperate with what he wants to do. This is the act of appropriating. Grace is what he's provided. Faith is how we get hold of it. It's like you're standing in front of the pantry, it's full, and faith is like that reach that grabs it and says, this is mine. That's which God has supplied, now applying it to our life. It's the practical outworking of the inward spiritual reality. And I'll give you a story. When I was in middle school, I was about eighth grade, I think it was. We'd just done those assessment tests. Love those, right? They're awesome. No, not really. Um, but all my teachers got together, all of them. Like we had seven. And they all had a little conference, and they said, we need to talk to his parents. Because that time, I was like, C's. I, mean, I was just kind of skating through school. And they saw my results on the assessment test. They called my parents, and they're like, this guy is functioning way below his potential. He's just skating. It's clear there's more here. And I was challenged. Took me a while to pick up that challenge, but, but that can describe our Christianity. There's just so much potential in him that's in us. But the degree to which we walk in that has to do to, with the degree to which we will apply diligence and supply faith to it. Are you still with me? Listen, we might have from our parents incredible DNA to be incredible Athletes or intelligence or physical strength or something. But how many know you might have the ability to be this incredible athlete, but if you sit on your couch with donuts, binge-watching Netflix, that ain't happening. Right? If we've been gifted, if you're a musician and you've got this, you, you, you might have perfect pitch, you might have this incredible ability, but you never pick up a, or practice a, a, an instrument, guess what? It'll just be dormant. It'll never be realized. So this is the realization of what Christ has put in us into our practical life. That's what Peter's talking about here. And so he supplied us with all the ingredients to grow, faith, his calling, his power, his promises, his very nature. Now it's our part to supply the faith. And I want to talk about these increasing qualities in our lives. 
They're not negotiable. They're needed for life. It's our part to work out our salvation. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I quote this a lot, but it's worth repeating. Even Peter said it's worth repeating. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Okay. Sometimes we up our game in front of people, but that's another story. And pastors know this, by the way. Um, Just saying. We know you're on top, top performance. Okay. So we'll try to be as real as possible so you don't feel like you need to act like that. Come on. Work out your salvation with, your, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want you to see a distinction here. Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. It's something you already have. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus and made him Lord of your life, Right? You have this, but it needs to develop and work, be worked out into your life. And if you, you know, in each of these seven qualities, as you exercise one, you begin to develop the next. And I believe there, there's a sequence here, intentional by the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's very intentional, what God's speaking. But look at these as like different muscle groups. How many, how many joined the gym? Come on, you don't have to lift your hand. It's okay. Are you part of the uh, first two week of January gym crowd? Right? You say, I, I, I made my commitment, and my resolution is to go three weeks this year. Right? But you don't do all the muscles on one day, or you ain't going to be walking or moving. You got back day, you have arm day, you have leg day. Are you with me? Nobody likes leg day. Ooh. But so you're working these things just like that, right? You're, you're, you're working your faith is what Peter's speaking to. So I want to go through these quickly as we not keep you here too long. But moral excellence, we were made to glorify God in our life. And to proclaim his excellencies, as 1 Peter 2.9 says. And in exercising our faith, we are becoming who God called us to be. See, he called us by his own glory and excellence. And that's what we're walking into. We're becoming more like him. To be, reflect and let his glory be revealed through our lives. That's what that is. And then he says knowledge. You know, we don't just check our brains at the door for Christianity. Come on. We were going to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's important that, it's important to note that he lists moral excellence before knowledge. Why? Because without virtue, if you just get knowledge, what happens? You get puffed up and full of pride and arrogance and you stumble. We need the virtue of who he is. And then you add to that the knowledge of his word. You still with me? All right. There's five more. And then it, you know, this is a knowledge that is revelatory. How many of you ever heard of the 12-inch drop? You see, we can know something up here. Know something up here, but then the Holy Spirit through the rhema word just poop, 
into your heart and becomes a reality. Oh, I knew it, but now I know it. It's a gnosko. It's an intimate knowing of, his, of who he is. And as we grow in that knowledge, then grace and peace are multiplied to us. Isn't this awesome? And then it says in John 7, 17, it's also an obedient. It's a knowledge that's gained through obedience. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching. Do you see that? As you do his will. Sometimes we're like, no, I want to understand it first. He says obey, and then the understanding comes, the knowledge comes. Then he says self-control. And see, in obtaining the knowledge I need for right living, I need to put it into practice in my life. And self-control is learning to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? We had this moment at the dinner table. And I'm going to tell my son, I love you. Where are you at? I probably owe you money. Um, but we were, we, were, we were eating dinner, and he had a Gatorade sports bottle for water. And just out of nowhere, random, decides to squirt me right in the face. See, I've been meditating on this passage. Everybody just sat waiting for the reaction. <laughs> so I didn't do anything. I just sat there and ate my dinner. And they're like. And later on, he looked away. I grabbed the bottle. And when he wasn't thinking about it, got him back. But I was <laughs> Self-control. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Who ruling our spirit? That's that self-control. We don't have to just give in to our urges. We don't have to lose our mind in traffic. Come on. Me too. I'm, yep. The re perseverance, the reality is we won't persevere if we, don't, if we lack self-control. Do you see how that works? See, as I'm learning self-control and re denying myself many times. That's what that is. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So there's a denial of self, but then in that, I'm able to persevere through the challenges in life. See, it's this, this kind of patient enduring. It's remaining under the Lord and under his lordship and under his grace and peace in the trials of life. And you see, we've exercised self-control over time and endured. That's what builds this in perseverance in our life. And how many know we as the Western church need to learn something from this, of this? Like what we consider trials and tribulations, and then I think it, the, our believers, our brothers and sisters in Iran and China and these other places, and I go, wait a second. Maybe we need to get some perspective. Because what's coming, church, we have to have perseverance for. In the Strongs, it says, in the New Testament characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Not swerved. Next, he says, and then in your perseverance, add godliness. And this denotes that piety which, characterized by a Godward attitude, does that which is well-pleasing to him. It's God-likeness. 
So I want to make the right decisions that honor him. I want to live in the fear of the Lord. I'm concerned with doing his will, even if it is not the easy way. Willing to go through the pain and trial to, that, for his will to be done. Then he's, and, you know, he's, Paul says to Timothy, you know, bodily discipline is only little profit, but godliness, come on, is profitable for all things. That diligence to add. And then he says, in your godliness, add brotherly love. This is that Philadelphia love. It's, we are learning to care for our brothers and sisters in church, to cherish them, to love them, even when they rub us the wrong way. I know that's never happened to you, but, but listen, that's, I, heard a, I heard a believer say once, one time ago, well, I have to love my brothers and sisters, but I don't have to like them. I go, I don't understand. Now, you may not like behaviors, but you better like them. Do you see the difference? See, God's working a deeper love in me. Sometimes he will put people in your life that test you and rub you the wrong way just to develop that in you. Now, don't tell them that, please. Oh, God brought you into my life because he wants me to hear brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Come on, you have some people to thank for building this in your life. Let love of the brethren continue. And then last but not least, love. And this is the agape love. This is the agape love. He says, in your brotherly love, supply agape love. You know where I'm going to learn to love the world the way Jesus does? In the fellowship of other believers. Because that love that we share then begins to come out towards the world. And it's a, it's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that is irrespective of their behaviors or, or, or whatever they do to you. Are you with me? It's the same love God expressed when he said, for God so loved the world he gave. That love being alive in our life. Do you notice that's at the end of the list, but it's the greatest love. That is supernatural. All of these are supernatural. They can't be produced naturally. When these are increasing in your life, he says, he says this, verse 8, they won't render you useless or unfruitful. I want to be diligent in increasing this year. I hope that's your heart this morning. Last but not least, in 2 Peter 1.9, I'll close with this. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So I ask you this morning as the worship team comes, we, are these qualities increasing in your life? Are they increasing? You know, this is a year of possessing because he says if they are yours and increasing, make them yours. That's what faith does. God says, here's the supply. I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to make it mine. But then he says, if we lack them, get this, we are blind or short-sighted. 
And this word short-sighted is the only place in the Greek it, it is in the New Testament. And he says it, it, it means this. He of whom it is true is blind in that he cannot discern spiritual things. He is nearsighted in that he is occupied in regarding worldly affairs. You see, we, can, we lack vision because we are not increasing in these qualities in our lives. God wants you to have vision, clarity for your life this year. But it starts with understanding, knowing the faith that he gives you, knowing the power he's given us, knowing the promises that we have, knowing the divine nature that he's given us. Come on. His calling. And then in that saying, God, I'm going to commit to be diligent in, a, in, in, in supplying faith to these things. I'm going to pursue this this year. Will you stand with me? As we close, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. I wonder if you just take a moment, just lift your hands where you're at. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Oh, we thank you, Lord. You're the Spirit of truth. Jesus. You lead us into all truth. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus. Those gifts that you've given us, Lord. We're so grateful this morning. We thank you for that faith, that like precious faith. Lord, we want to esteem value to that faith the way you called us to to see it as you see it, that without faith it is impossible to please you. Lord, I pray this morning, as your word has gone forth, that faith would come by the hearing of your word. And hearing by your word. Father, we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you and we acknowledge your divine power, your anointing for life. Just lift your hands right where you're at. And Lord, we receive it right now. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. May the eyes of our heart be open to see the vast supply that you've provided. Jesus. The vast supply. We don't lack. We have all we need, Jesus, in you. May we see your promises, Lord, in your word that you've given us magnificent, they're precious, oh Lord. May we grab hold of those promises and by faith say yes and amen to every promise this morning. Yes and amen to every promise, Lord. I thank you that this is going to be a year of tremendous growth. Lord, we declare it and we decree it over our lives this morning. We acknowledge our part to be diligent. Oh, God, I thank you for the grace this morning. Lord, maybe where we failed before, we made commitments. And, Lord, we've made all sorts of commitments. I, I remember, Lord, making commitments to pray hours and hours and hours and failing time after time again. Lord, I thank you it's going to be different this time because it's by your grace, it's by your word. And Lord, that it's a new season. 
of growth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we're going to grow in moral excellence. We're going to grow in knowledge. We're going to grow in perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. All these things, Lord, are going to be added. Lord, I thank you. And I declare that over each and every one of our lives as we press into you, as we lean into you the way we more than we ever have before in this season, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I don't know if you need to respond to this message. You just need to make a commitment. I know that there's power in acting upon the word of God, just committing yourself to what he's speaking. And I believe sometimes that means I'm going to step forward and I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm making this commitment right now. This year, maybe I'll be, I see you, you ran for it. I'm making this commitment right now. It's a new year. I'm leaning into you. Into your faith and your promises and your power. Into everything you supply.